Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Our theme for this year at Coastal has been reaching out from a position of strength. And one of the the best ways to operate from a position of strength is to know the truth that's in the Bible, the truth that the Bible itself contains. There have been numerous speakers this year at Coastal that have talked about truth, more from a theological or a conceptual standpoint. But today we're going to look at some very practical things. And if you weren't able to be here at the beginning of last month when Pastor John Skoltz taught, it was a three-night teaching on biblical worldview, I would encourage you to look that up online or on the Bible, the Coastal app, and watch those teachings because this is something that is foundational for our lives. You know, so many people struggle with the concept of absolute truth, and there is absolute truth truth in this world. We can have our own thoughts about truth and interpretations based on uh, our filters or um, circumstances, desires, experiences, or even false beliefs. We can think we believe something that's true when it's actually false. As Christians, followers of Christ, we should filter everything through what the Bible says. I saw a saying one time that that said, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, actually, I think we can leave the middle part of that out. If the Bible says it, that settles it. It doesn't matter if I believe it or not. One of my pastoral and life mentors, Dr. Jim Wall, I heard him explain this something like this. While I'm preaching today, If I say something that you do not agree with, either because you have not heard it before or it is different from what you have heard in the past, do not automatically dismiss what I say. But also do not be so intellectually lazy as to accept everything I stand up here and say today as truth. Compare what I say to the Bible. I believe what I'm saying today lines up with the Bible but I'm open. I will humble myself before you. If any of us that stand up here, we we understand the responsibility. And if there's something that doesn't line up with God's word, bring it to our attention. Let's have a, a conversation like that. If you're like me, you hear things that you, you know are not accurate. Sometimes people say things that are wrong out of ignorance or maybe on purpose, or, or they may even have good intentions. Regard the re- of the reason, regardless of the reason, if something is true, it's true. And if something is false, then it is false. And one last comment on this before I get into today's message. God's word is timeless. There may be things that are different in today's world than when men penned these words under uh, Holy Spirit's inspiration. But God's word is timeless. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We may have some circumstances that are different. We may live differently. We may have internet. We may have cars. Um, Society may be different. But the truths of God's word do not change with generations or time. So I've titled today's message, Truth 
or fiction. Let's start with understanding what truth is. So many different resources, and I like the free dictionary online. It explains things in a way that I can understand them, and it's very clear. It says, truth is consistent with fact or reality, not false or erroneous, not counterfeit. It's in accord with reality and fact. So my goal today, and hopefully yours is also, if it's not currently, will be to use the Bible as your standard to determine what is truth and what should be the plumb line for our life. Our foundational text for today is one's probably very familiar to you, but if it's not, I encourage you to, to see this for the first time in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. Anybody else don't like to be corrected, or am I the only one standing up here like that? God's Word corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. I've been in a mode lately where I've been doing a lot of listening. And I know if you know me, I love to talk. My wife says I would talk to a fence post if it would listen to me. But I've been really trying to use my body like God intended, two ears, one mouth, and I've been listening a lot. And yes, I've been looking at things online on social media, and I've been picking up on some things that people are posting or saying that I believe probably with good intentions, but aren't necessarily accurate when it comes to the Bible. So we're going to just take some statements and look at them today and see what God's Word has to say. One of the things that I hear, I've heard a lot through years, is God will never give us more than we can handle. <laughs> well, there's a little caveat on the internet, on our own. God does allow us to go through things that are way beyond what we can handle on our own. I think this statement is probably a, a misquote or a misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So he won't allow us to be tempted beyond what there's a way out. But he does allow us to go through situations in life, some by our own doing, our own decisions or actions, and some from the actions of others, so that we will depend on him and not ourselves. It's a very dangerous thing when we think we've got it all under control. We're not going to get into pride and stuff like that this morning, but there's a, a fine line there. There are numerous examples of this in the Bible. And with each of the points we talk about today, I'm going to share with you what the Bible says, and then you can chew on that and do with it what you would like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, who is probably, other than Jesus, person we know the most about from the writings in the New Testament, he writes, 
even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, you know, something interesting about this, there are theologians that have studied this and and preached on it, and some believe they know what that thorn is. And some of it is, is backed up by some scripture, history, but I personally don't believe we definitively know what the thorn is in Paul's side. And I think God left it like that for a reason. Because if he would have identified the thorn as alcoholism or lust or stealing or murder or cheating or pride or whatever, then probably only the people that associated with that sin or that thorn in their side would relate to it. But leaving it general like that, we all have thorns in our side. Either you have had, you have now, or the good news is you will have in the future. So I'm glad that they left it generic. Paul writes further, starting in verse 8, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. He didn't say he casually asked him. Three times he begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, Paul's saying, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When was the last time you not only endured, but you took pleasure in your weakness and the insults you received, your hardships and persecutions? That one, that one spoke to me a little bit, and um, well, we'll just move right along. So there's some other passages in the Bible that tells us where our health and our strength comes from outside of ourselves. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 121.1, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. If God is the maker of heaven and earth, think he can handle my little problems. He can handle my weaknesses. He can handle the thorns in my side. Another phrase that I've heard is, I don't need others in my life to be a Christian. I can do this on my own. And again, let's look at what the scripture says. In Hebrews 10, 25, and let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, this is not a salvation issue. Coming to church isn't what decides whether you go to heaven or not. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And I know during the pandemic, you know, we shut down for a little while, not very long, but we opened back up. Um, online was great. There are people that watch this service every week from around the world. And technology is an amazing thing. There are people that can't get to church. We're glad to have Gina back for the last couple of weeks after she decided to break her foot in a few different places. You know, it's good to see her back. But when you were home, you know, technology is good. Some people are sick or they may have to work or there may be homebound or whatever reasons 
This is not to be judgmental about people that watch online. But I would encourage you, if you do watch online, to make it into the room like this. Because when you are in the room with other people, when you can get that hug, that word of encouragement from someone, it's different than when it's online. But again, online technology is a great resource when we need it. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just in fact as you are doing. Coastal family, this is where you get an A+. I love before service, after the second service, in between the services. We intentionally built a good amount of time in there. Just watching you guys, catching up from what's been going on during the week, praying for each other, encouraging each other, offering to help each other. That's invaluable. Please don't ever take that for granted. And what I found is it doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. We've got some very caring, encouraging introverts in this family that might do it a little quieter than the guy with the big mouth here. But it's still very valuable, and you're so, so good at it. In 2 Corinthians 1.4, says, He comforts us, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You know, it says in here that when we're going through troubles, God comforts us. And he does that for us. He's a good God. As Harlan mentioned earlier, he's the giver of all good gifts. He comforts us in our troubles. But I don't believe the journey ends there. So many times, as it says here, we're able to give others the same comfort God has given us. So when I was privileged to be on pastoral staff of our church in Virginia before we moved to Florida, I was able to lead our care team. And there were lots of volunteers on the team that some could preach, some would do funerals, some hospital visits, some counseling, a lot of different capacities. But in the 13 years I was there, I never once came across a situation that I didn't have somebody I could call on to help. So as a pastor, I could give biblical guidance, pastoral encouragement, and a few times maybe it related to something I'd been to. But so many times, people were going through something I'd never experienced. And I can think of a few times like when a, a lady, when a mom has a miscarriage. I don't, I don't even come close to pretending that I understand what that's like. Again, I can encourage from the Bible, but we had ladies in the church who had had miscarriages, and they won't ever say they're fully healed. I don't know exactly what that even means. But there are a few steps along in their healing journey, and they were willing to sit down across from a lady and look in their eyes and say, I know what you're going through. I've been there. And the same thing, whether it was, again, things we do to ourselves or things that just happened to us, whether it was addiction or you know losing a family member, losing a job and not knowing how you're going to make the mortgage. I mean, there are people that are available to help with that. And it's so important. Again, God doesn't just give us the comfort for ourselves, but the fact that we can use it to, to help others. So the bottom line is, yes, you can get to heaven without going to church. The truth is, I can be married to my wife Candace without living with her. 
Legally, I could be married to her and not live with her. But I enjoy living with her. She's a nice lady. You know, she's 43 years, and I hope we're about halfway there. But again, I like being with her. Being part of a church family, we enjoy being with each other. Let's look at at one that I I poke a little fun at, but this is um, one that we'll get into a little deeper Bible on. You know, you see the picture there. We're in a spiritual battle in this world. If you don't know that, we are. And that picture in the middle, that's Fred when he was younger and had hair. I'm just kidding. That's not true. (laughs) But you've probably seen these pictures to where you've got the devil on one shoulder and on the other shoulder, maybe God or an angel or however people look at it. And again, built with two ears, one speaking into one ear and the other speaking into the other ear. And somehow there's this concept that the words that are coming are equal, that the good and evil are equal foes. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie of the devil. And I'm going to share with you what the Bible says about that. We're going to look in the book of Job. When you ever think you're having a rough day, just read through Job. And um, you may be going through exactly the same thing he's been through, but I've never been through quite that much. But we're going to look at two times that that Job was tested and how we can be convinced that the devil is not equal to God. In the first chapter of Job, in starting in verse 8, Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? You notice Satan didn't go to God and say, Hey, let's pick on Job. The Lord offered him up. He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. You know, when I was reading this, I was thinking, wouldn't it be amazing one day when, as you graduate or cross over or die and go to heaven, however you want to say it, that at your funeral, your memorial service, people can honestly say, he is the finest man or woman in all the earth blameless, a man of complete integrity, fears God and stays away from evil. What a concept. So Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him, his home, and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is but reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So you see God is going to allow Satan to do certain things to Job. He's going to let him attack all of his possessions, which is what Satan says is the reason that Job loves God. And God says, you can attack all of his possessions. But what does he say? But don't harm him physically. So God is putting a restriction. He's putting a limitation on Satan, the devil. And if there are two opposing forces and one can limit or put restrictions on the other, they're not equal. 
one is superior. So in this case, God is clearly superior. Now let's look at the, the second test. I'm going to tell you, Job must have been something, not just once, but gets to go through it twice. In Job chapter 2, one day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, kind of like deja vu here, we're hearing it again. Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord. He thinks he's smart, doesn't he? You know, he's not all that smart. Skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life. But reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right. Do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So again, the Lord allowed Satan to take it a step further and attack his health. And again, if you want to read this, it's stuff I would never want to go through. It's um, absolutely horrendous. But the second time, the Lord put a restriction on Satan. Spare his life. He could not take his life. So again, that gives me, without a doubt, the belief that God is more powerful than Satan. The next two points, I kind of combined them. I was going to address them together, but they're so, they're so closely related, and we'll even touch on them a little more later. But it's how to become a good person, or are you a good person, and can I get to heaven based on my good works? So let's talk about this just a little bit. Because my first career was as a police officer. And I've been to a lot of memorial services and funerals for first responders from all disciplines, for nurses and doctors and teachers and very honorable professions. And I hear people say in these services, well, we know they're in heaven because they helped people. They did good things. You know, they spent their life serving mankind. And as we'll see, that's not the criteria to get in to heaven. So let's start about whether we are good people, if I'm a good person. Romans 3.10, there is no one without sin, none. So that's pretty clear to me. No one is none. It doesn't say almost everyone. It says there is no one without sin. I'm a baseball nut. I love baseball. It's my favorite sport. My son and now my grandson play baseball. Between Friday and Saturday, I drove 400 miles to go to grandson baseball games. Wouldn't have it any other way. Um, but if you think about this, if a baseball player gets up to bat and a professional baseball player, if they have a career average of 300, they're amazing. I mean, they're going to the Hall of Fame, almost unheard of in the baseball industry. So that means seven out of 10 times, 
Three out of 10 times, they're successful. Seven out of 10 times, they're not. So you would think in most disciplines, it's like you fail 70% of the time. How can that be good? But let's just say that there's a professional baseball player that gets up to bat the first time in his career and he strikes out. And he gets a hit every other time he comes up to bat in his career. First of all, it's not going to happen. I mean, I believe in miracles, but I'm not sure that's on the top of God's list of miracles he's going to perform. So, you know, a batting average of 1,000 means you're perfect. But if you've struck out one time and gotten a hit the next 10,000 times, your batting average is still .999, and you can carry it out. You, If you've messed up once, you'll never be batting 1,000 for your career. So no one is without sin, none. Romans chapter 3, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And then let's look further in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So, we don't want to just play with words, but our goodness comes from Jesus Christ. If we separate ourselves from God, we are not good people. But it's okay to say you're a good person in Christ. Okay? I just want to talk about that a minute with the phrase undeserved privilege. That's a powerful, powerful phrase. You know, there are privileges you may have in life at work or financially or whatever because you deserve them, because you've worked hard, because you've studied, because you've gotten degrees or you've done whatever you've needed to do. But undeserved privilege, nothing I can do, <clears throat> excuse me, to earn it or... Uh, be worthy of it, but I get it anyway. Excuse me. I don't know if it's the change in the weather or too much yelling at the ball field, but my throat's a little bit <laughs> scratchy today. So, following up with that a little bit, a couple of more thoughts that are related to it. it has to do with church attendance and doing more good than bad and how that relates and to go into heaven. And I told you we were going to touch on this a little bit more. It is by grace we are saved. Attending church is good. It's biblical, but it's not a salvation issue. If you're not able to, or if you don't attend church, you can still go to heaven. There are people that have never set foot inside of a church that are going to go to heaven. There are people that go to church every week that aren't going to heaven. Now, I don't know who they are. You know, I'm not trying to judge and pick out people here, but I, I just believe that because nowhere in the Bible does it say attending an event or being part of a group is what gets us into heaven. Now, I believe it's crucial to our Christian growth and service in a gathering like this and in your small groups and Tuesday morning coffee at Dominic's Deli where the ladies sit together and the men sit together. The men aren't allowed to go into the Holy of Holies where the ladies are. You know, the, I'm not sure we would understand everything that goes on there. 
But getting together as Christians, we've talked about that, that is good. But just coming to church doesn't get us into heaven. But it is crucial for our growth and service. And when it comes to service, you know, the Bible's very clear that God has given us all gifts and talents, and he's given you abilities that he hasn't given me and vice versa. And the person next to you has gifts and abilities you don't and, and vice versa. Some of them are seen. They're very public. Obviously, whoever stands up here and preaches, you see that. The musicians, people in, in the media booth, um, you may see if you take your kids over to kids' ministry, the ones that are in there. But there are so many things that go on behind the scenes, too, that are areas of service that I believe are crucial to our spiritual growth. Did you know once a month we have somebody that cleans out all the air-conditioned units behind the building? cleans out the, the fins there. Do you ever see them do it? Probably not. Is it important? It is. The connect cards that are in the, the seat pockets, the communion cups that are prepared, the maintenance on the building, the things that go on during the week, the prayer warriors that may lock themselves in their prayer closet at home and pray for you. It may not be, be things that you see, but it's crucial for the life of the church and for our personal growth that we serve in some capacity. And we should serve how God created us and how he called us. I'll be honest, um, years ago I used to be jealous, confession here, transparency, of people that can sing. If you sat near me in church, you will know I can't sing. I've been told I can't carry a tune in a bucket with a lid on it. I cannot sing. And I joke and say, Pastor Rod did almost ask me to sing one time. It's because we had too many people in the building over the fire marshal code and he needed some people to leave. He didn't really do that. But I used to be jealous of people that could sing because I don't have any, an inkling of, of that gift. It took me a journey to get over that. Um, I think I know what my gifts are and I think I know what they're not. And the ones of you that can sing beautifully, I cheer you on. I don't covet your, your gift any longer. Whew, feel better already. <laughs> Again, attending church is good, but just coming to church doesn't get us into heaven. I can go home today and stand in my garage all afternoon. It does not make me a car. Okay? I mean, we can, we can be in a place all we want, but it doesn't determine who we are. Ephesians 2.8, for it is great, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Our role in this is to have the faith, is to accept what has been done for us, but it's very clear, and this is not from ourselves, it is from God. You know, sometimes, somehow we have this concept that we have to change before we're good enough for church. Like, well, there's some sins I do in my life that I need to stop. And there's some good things I need to start doing before I can go to church. And we get the cart before the horse. That's not true. It would be like going to the local hospital here and going up to the emergency room and the doors are locked. And you ring the bell and the triage nurse comes to the door and you say, I need to see a doctor. I need to come in. And the triage nurse says, wait a minute. 
First, you need to stop bleeding. You're going to make a mess in here. You need to fix your broken arm. Get your heart back into a good rhythm, and then we'll let you in. I mean, that sounds dumb, right? It's ridiculous. But spiritually and practically in our lives, it's the same way with developing that relationship with God. So when we're trying to establish a relationship or mend a relationship, there are two components to it, and it's important that we get them in the right order. There's reconciliation and there's resolution. So I use the example in a marriage. If you have ever had a strong disagreement with your spouse, and I'm going to assume if you've been married more than 16 seconds that you have had a strong disagreement with your spouse, we make a mistake if we go to the issue and just try to work out that issue, especially when emotions are high. It doesn't usually work out well. But the reconciliation part is, and I'm the type, I'll be honest with you, if Candace and I are having a discussion, I need a few minutes. Just, you know, not delaying, procrastinating, putting off. But I just need a few minutes to collect my thoughts and make sure my emotions are in check. But if we start the conversation with, this is hard. I'm not happy with you right now. And I know you're not happy with me right now. And I'm not sure how we're going to work through this. But on the other side of this, we're going to be husband and wife. We may not like each other right now, but we still love each other. And we are husband and wife, and our hearts are going to be united through this. That's the reconciliation. You have that agreement with your spouse, and then you address the issues. You try to resolve the resolution part, the issues. I can tell you, it goes much better when you put it in that order. So it's just like our relationship with God and his family. We don't try to get it right. We don't try to fix things first. We humble ourselves. We accept the things that have been mentioned in these Bible verses, what Christ has done for us, and by faith we accept him. And then trust me, from experience in my own life and walking with other people on their journey, the resolution of our issues is much better. Not saying easy, not say all the issues go away, but when we have Christ in that process, then it goes much better. We come to God, then we allow him to help us with whatever issues that we have. Let's look at Romans 10.9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. That's what's required. It doesn't say you have to fix anything or you have to um, accomplish anything first. If you do those things, then that's how you will be saved. That's how you will spend eternity in heaven. I like to say eternity starts the day that you accept Jesus. It's not doesn't just start the day we die. It starts that day. So how do we bring together all of what we've heard today? How do we respond when our life is not consistent with the Bible? I appreciate a quote by Dr. Henry Cloud. He says, fools try to adjust the truth so he, a fool tries to adjust the truth so he doesn't have to adjust to it. You know, it doesn't take long to look around in the world today. Things that people present as truth, they've tried to change the truth 
so they don't have to conform or adjust to the truth. So we're talking about using the Bible as our biblical standard. I don't want to assume that everybody has a Bible. You know, I remember growing up, going to my grandmother's house, and she had the family Bible. Who remembers the family Bible? Weighed like 42 pounds, you know? And I don't think you opened it to read it because it would uh, squeak and crackle and all when you opened the pages. But, you know, not just from a biblical standpoint, but those Bibles, they served a very big purpose. My grandmother's parents didn't have birth certificates. They didn't have marriage certificates. They didn't have death certificates. They didn't necessarily know who the cousins were and all that. You look in a good family Bible that's been filled out, it's all in there. Sometimes we can assume that the American family has numerous Bibles in their home, and a lot do. Unfortunately, a lot of them are collecting dust. I have to be careful. Sometimes things up here shouldn't come out of my mouth, but I said it, so it's there. But just because we have a lot of Bibles in our home, 1, 2, 12, doesn't mean we read them. But through the years, I found a few people that don't, don't have a Bible, and that's okay. But if you find yourself in a position where you don't have a Bible, Coastal has Bibles. This happens to be the, the New Living Translation. This is a great Bible I like to use. We have some at the Connect Corner that if you or somebody you're walking with, mentoring, sharing the gospel that doesn't have a Bible, please stop by the Connect Corner and get one. Now, how do you start reading the Bible? You know, God put the Bible to, had the Bible put together like this for a reason, and Genesis is the first book of the Bible. I generally don't recommend you start with Genesis. You know, don't start with Lamentations. Lamentations is not where you want to start if you want to understand about the New Testament. The book of John is a great place to start to learn about the love of God. But in this Bible, in the beginning, there are a topical index or, or table of contents. Did you know the Bible says a lot about relationships, about pride, about procrastination? The Bible says a lot about stress. The Bible says a lot about sex, sin, being single, sorrow, about temptation, about how to be thankful. So there's a topical table of contents here or index that you can look up a topic and you can find scripture verses on that topic if you're struggling or if you want answers to something. Also, as again, we talked about there are resources available today. I love technology. You know, technology is like money. It's amoral. It's not good or bad. depends on how it's used. Technology is certainly used for some bad things in this world. But technology is used for some great things. Bible apps. I still some, I got my Bible at home that I still like to, to hold on. I like to smell the pages. I like to, you know, to go through the pages with my thumb. But sometimes the Bible app, there's so many resources there, 10, 20 versions of the Bible, dictionaries, concordance, commentaries, so many different good things. If you would like some help um, downloading a Bible app, if you don't know how, you know, we've got some folks here that would, would love to help you with that. We've got Jeff sitting there. We'll get some of the young guys out here. We got Jerry. I think he's one of our uh, technology gurus around here that can help with it. Uh, 
Somebody can help you, you know, download the Bible app. But whichever way you want to use it. And then there's so many resources. One of the simple things I do is by Rick Warren. You may be familiar with him. He pastored Saddleback Church. He's retired now. But he has a devotion that all you do is put in your email address, and it comes to my inbox every day. I would venture to say I don't know how many hundreds, thousands of those that are available. Some of them, two minutes. Some of them you spend two hours on. So there are resources out there if you would like to find something. So our final topic today, and some people have already touched on some of this. There's a myth out there that some people say that we should be thankful for everything. And I don't believe that. And I think the reason I don't believe that is because that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So what's the difference between being thankful for and being thankful in? There are many circumstances I'm not thankful for, wish I wasn't going through. Um, they're not fun. Um, so I have a hard time saying I'm thankful for that. However, keeping in mind that God is not the source of anything evil. God is the giver of all good gifts. Satan is the, the source of evil. Circumstances caused by... Um, evil can help us to grow to become who God created us to be. Remember, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So what we can learn, as Paul talked about his thorn, what happens to us and through us in that journey is, is what's important. So Romans 8.28. It's a part of this. It's a verse that does not say all things are good. I've heard people say, oh, everything's good. No, everything's not good. It says God uses all things for good based on if we love him and we have a God-ordained purpose in our lives. Let's look at what the scripture says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And for this verse, I really like how the Amplified Bible, it goes a little deeper and explains it a little differently to me. It says, and we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his plan as perfect. As I think about this thankfulness, Obviously, we just you know, had Thanksgiving week, and it's the week of the year when talking about being thankful and you get all the plaques you put around your house and you see in all the stores, and it just really brings it to the forefront of our minds. But really, Thanksgiving is an example of how we should be every day. It shouldn't just be that week of, of November. We should be thankful every day of the year. So let, us, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everyone that, that is here physically or listening online or who will hear this message later. And I pray that if there's anyone that struggles with the concept of absolute truth or struggles with where to find truth, that today they will decide in their hearts and in their minds that the Bible, that your word is the source of truth.
the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And Father, with all the confusion in this world, you are a God of order. And based on our lives on your truth can help remove that confusion and establish that order. Father, I pray if there's truth that's needed by people in this room that maybe they're struggling in their marriage and they don't know if they want to continue in their marriage, that they would seek your word about what you say about marriage. Father, if there are people that are struggling financially, your word is full of 2,500 verses of deal with possessions and finances. I pray they will go to you, your word. Father, for answers on how to raise children, your word is full of wisdom, full of guidance on how to raise children and how not to raise them. Father, whatever we're going through in life, I pray that we'll turn to your word for wisdom and for truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we